Hey, church, how you doing? Beautiful. Happy 4th of July weekend. If you're watching from the cabin on a lake somewhere, welcome. Uh, we wish we were with you. Uh, so Jesus... Jesus begins his ministry in Mark chapter 1, right? Obviously, beginning of the gospel story. That's where Jesus begins his ministry. And we see Jesus begin his ministry. And if you just look through Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 3, you see this story building. In the story of Jesus as he's going around, he's baptized, he's Tempted, he defeats the devil, and that begins his official ministry. And as he begins his ministry, he's going around and he's calling disciples to follow him. He's going around and he's healing people. He's going around, he's casting out demons, and and word starts to spread about Jesus. And if you were in a city, so if, if you were in Eau Claire, like you are, and you heard about a guy that was going around town, and you heard that he was maybe a Messiah, or maybe he didn't even get that far, but you heard that he was healing people, like he'd touch people, he'd speak to people, and they would be healed like that. Or you heard of people that were, that were possessed with demons and, and all this guy had to do was say a word and those demons would leave. What would you do? I'd want to go see that, wouldn't you? Like, I'd want to be a part of that. I'd want to be a part of that life-changing transformation. And this is what was happening in the cities that Jesus was living in. Tons of people were coming to him to get healed, to watch people be healed, to bring friends, to bring relatives, to come and see them get healed. And in Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 33, it says... Uh, a lot of people were coming, uh, they were bringing the, the sick and the demon possessed of Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door. The whole town gathered at the door. 65,000 people in Eau Claire gathered at the door to see what Jesus was going to do. Jesus healed many, also drove out many demons. Some would say this might be the height of Jesus' ministry in chapter 1. And what was Jesus' response to that? I know what my response would be, right? We got to keep going. We got to capitalize on this. We got the people's attention. Now we need to keep this engine going so we can keep healing people. We can keep reaching people. Like I'm really changing people's lives. So I need to keep this going. More people come, well, we got to just do ministry another day. Like, we got to keep the doors open. We got to go harder. We got to go more. We got to go keep this going. What was Jesus' response? Peace. I'm out. Right? Jesus, very early in the morning the next day, while it was still dark, got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions even went to look for him. But when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. 
And then Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the other nearby villages, so I can preach there as well. This is why I have come. Just put yourself in the story. Jesus is having one of the most wildly successful ministries ever. Is the whole town gathered, probably something the town has never seen before. And Jesus pauses, goes off into the woods to be with his father. And I think something happened in that moment where the vision was clarified for Jesus. Because why else would his friends come? Hey, Jesus, everyone's still at that house that you left. Everyone's still waiting for you to come back. They need you. They want you. You are amazing. Come back here and minister. And he goes, no, 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 that's not what I'm called to do. Let's go to the next city. Because that is why I have come. There's something about that pause, I think, that reminded him of his vision and purpose. I think that's just amazing because it's so countercultural to what our culture is all about, right? When you get the attention, you take advantage of it. When you get the momentum, you keep it going at all costs. But that's not how Jesus operated. He took a pause to be with his Father, to pray, to reflect, and I believe to clarify the vision on where he was headed. We've been going through this series where we've been talking about Hebrew words. And we've been bringing up a new Hebrew word every, every week. And this week's Hebrew word is a word uh, called, it's Selah. So say it with me. Selah. Selah is a word uh, that uh, I love it because really we don't really know what it means. Right? It's found in the Psalms, and it's found, it's used over 71 times in the Psalms, and it's often connected to like this musical term in the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms were written were songs that were prayed or sung out to God, and so it's this musical term that's inserted into the song, and people argue what it means. There's a lot of the consensus says that this is either a moment to like praise God, right? Like it's a moment within the song, within the community of people in which like there's supposed to be praise that outbreaks. And then the the widely kind of known and I think settled on meaning is also, it is a rest in the song. It is a break. It is a time to step back and take a moment. And we know these moments are really powerful in songs, right? Like think journey, right? What is the most epic part in journey? It's the break. It's the break in the lyrics and the singing when the guitar solo comes in. And that thing is amazing, right? Uh, If you want to go a little bit more recent, you go DJ Khaled. 
right? All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Put your hands up in the ceiling, all the hands go up, and there's a Selah. I digress. (laughs) It's this moment in the song which there's a moment like to breathe. There's a powerful moment where you sit. It builds anticipation and it causes reflection. And we see it 71 times throughout the Psalms. It's also in Habakkuk in a, a couple verses. Uh, One person wrote that the Selah is used to denote pausing in order to reflect. It's in those places of Selah that we get perspective on the world around us. And it's not necessarily our perspective, it's God's perspective. Perspective, it's like being in the eye of the storm where there's a place of peace and stillness. But we can get clarity on what's happening all around us. So turn with me uh, to Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 3. I want to go through a couple of these psalms and just highlight these places where Selah is used and what happens in the Selah. And then I want to ask us a bunch of questions at the end and then we'll get out of here. Sound good? Psalm chapter 3. Psalm, uh, I keep saying chapter, Psalm 3. Psalm 3 in the first verse it says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me. This is King David writing this song, this plea, this cry out to God. And it's as armies from Absalom are trying to come and literally kill him, take his life. This isn't like, oh, somebody was mean to me on Facebook, they're persecuting me type of thing. This is people are actively trying to kill me. I'm hiding in caves, dodging them. I am running for my life. And we see the beginning of the psalm where David says, they're trying to kill me. They're rising up against me. They might be winning. People are saying that, God, you won't deliver me. What's that next part? Selah. So there's this cry out to God, and then there's this break. And then I think it's really interesting, right? Because what happens after the break? I don't know how long that break is for, but there is a break, and there is a complete mind set shift that David undergoes in the song. There's many that are rising up against me, many that are saying to me, God won't deliver me, Selah. But God, you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and you lift up my head to the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. I can't help but think that Selah is in there. To really feel the verses before, right? Be like, yes, this is real. People are trying to come and kill me. My life is in danger. I'm afraid. And then there is a deliberate turn in the pause. From I'm afraid of my life to God is my shield that is all around me. Nothing can faze me because I got God. 
I don't have to be afraid. Not because of anything I can do, but because of what he can and does do. There's another Selah. I lie down. I wake again because of the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me. O my God, strike all my enemies from the law. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah, there's a pause. And I think just like Jesus doing ministry goes off into the wilderness to take a pause. And, and I truly believe that that realigned his vision to know. Let's go to the other city. This is the mission that I'm on. David, as he's sitting there, as he's fearing for his life, takes a pause. He remembers. Hey, God's got my back. God is the shield around me. God sustains me. It's this pause to remember who you are, to remember who God is, to gain perspective on all that is going around in life, to remember who's in control. So here's a question. Where do you take a Selah in your day, in your week, in your month, in your year? There's so much about, about our culture that is go, 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 right? And you don't even have to try. Like that's just part of the rhythm, the pace of our culture. It is nonstop. And if you don't actively fight against it, push against it, you'll just be caught up in that stream. So where in your day, in your week, in your month, in your year, do you take a spot to just pause? And think on God. Storms could be going all around your life. Could be going crazy. Emotions could be at all time high. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus, in the moment when there's a storm and the disciples are freaking out, he just takes a break. Takes a pause. And in that pause, remembers who he is, remembers who God is, and remembers that God is all around him and will sustain him and will be his shield. Where do you take a pause in your day? In your week? In your month? In your year? Now, let's just get something straight. Taking a pause is not binge-watching Netflix. Okay? Taking a pause is not hopelessly scrolling through your phone. Taking a pause is not just getting just deep into a book and devouring it. Taking a pause is an active time when you are intentionally spending time with Jesus. And that could look a million different ways. But it's the intentionality 
of taking a pause, stepping back from life and spending time with him. Turn with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46, it's one of my favorite psalms. I think we preach on this once a year, once every two years. Uh, But Psalm 46 is another psalm where we see this Selah used. In Psalm 46, in verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. Sometimes I I think this helps with our just quickness of our mind where we want to keep reading, right? And there's an intentional point where you go, no, 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 think about that for a second. See, throughout this psalm, It talks about political upheaval. We don't know anything like that in our day and age. It talks about military upheaval in wars. It talks about natural upheaval and natural disasters. And so he finishes this section. God is our strength. God is our hope. God is our safe place. We will not fear. Whether it's uh, political, whether it's natural, whether it's uh, military, we will not fear. Why? Not because of anything we can do, because God is our refuge. God is our place. God is the shield around us. So I think that Selah is there just to like, let that sink in. Don't just cruise on by. Let it sink in. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her break uh, at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fail. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. What does that mean for you to follow a God? That even though the nations are in uproar, the kingdoms fall. What does it mean for you to follow a God who can just lift his voice and the earth melts? What does that mean for you to think, the Lord is my fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us. What does that mean in your current situation? What does that mean in your current struggle? What does that mean in that difficult relationship? What does that mean in that financial hardship? What does that mean in that stressful job? What does that mean when you are crippled with anxiety and worry and fear?
Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations that he has brought on earth, he makes wars cease. To the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And here's what I think is like the crescendo of the whole psalm. Be still and know that I am God. These words here, it means stop striving. Stop chasing. Stop running. Stop doing it on your own power, in your own will. Be still and know that I am Lord. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. It's almost like they're saying, like, just pause on that thought. And just let it sink in. Just let it sit in your brain. Do I believe that? How does that hit me? Do I believe it? If I believe it, do I live like it? Selah. The author, uh, John Golden Gay, says this about be still and know that I am God, that phrase. He said it's a common invitation in Christian spirituality. This involves reinterpretation of the psalm. Nowhere do the psalms have the ideal of silence. Their assumption is that one finds God not in silence, but in the noise. In noisy Western cultures, we may need to cultivate silence and use, uh, and the use of this psalm uh, to this end may be inspired by the Holy Spirit, even though it does make the words mean something the psalmist did not say, it would not have dreamed of saying. So he's saying, we take this psalm, and the psalmist meant, be still and know that God is God within the noise of all that is going on. In the noise of all of the political strife, the nations in war, the, the, the empires falling, all the political, uh, the economic, all that stuff. Be still in the noise and know that I'm God. And he's saying we often take this and we make it something cute and in a nice little package of like, I got to go find my nice little devotional spot and just be still and just God's going to magically appear. But the psalmist is actually saying within all the garbage, within all the chaos, when all that is going on, Selah, take a break and be still. Stop, street, stop, stop uh, striving, stop chasing, stop trying to make things happen and know that God is God. John Golden says this, here's the issue that's the most important challenge in Psalm 46. It's the challenge for the superpower to stand still and recognize that God is God and the superpower is not. I 
Now that superpower (laughs) can be tied to politics. That superpower can be an ideology that you are chasing after in life. That superpower can be yourself. And he's saying the whole point of the psalm is for you to realize whatever that superpower is, to realize that is not the most powerful thing. God is. Selah. So I want to ask a couple questions. Because I think this is a really nice thing to say. And really nice thing to, to preach about. And it's something that we would all kind of nod our heads and go, yeah. But I want to take it one step further. And, and here's a checklist, uh, a list of things that I first talked about years ago. And it's from the book, Ruthless uh, Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And it's this checklist that he outlines trying to get us to understand that we really do need this in our life. Like, we need this break. We need to intentionally put these breaks in our life. Put these points of reflection in our life so we can allow God to work. And you might be sitting out there going, I don't need times like that. Or what I'm doing now is just fine. Well, let's see how you feel after this list. One, irritability. You get mad frustrated or annoyed way too easily. Anybody? Depends on the day. Little normal things irk you. People have to tiptoe around you on your ongoing low-grade negativity, if not anger. Word of advice from a fellow eggshell expert to self-diagnose. Don't look at how you treat a colleague or neighbor. Look at how you treat those closest to you, your spouse, your children, your roommate. So as we go through these, just do a mental check, or, or maybe you want to grab a piece of paper and go, yep, uh, I'm number one, I'm number three, I'm number four, and I'm number seven. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email sent to you, or a little turn of events to throw you in an emotional funk that'll ruin your day. Number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You, you give Sabbath a try, and you hate it. You read scripture, but you find it boring. You have quiet time with God, but you can't focus your mind. You go to bed early, but you just sit and toss and turn with anxiety. Number four, alcoholism. Or work not alcoholism, workaholism. You just don't know when to stop. Or worse, you can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week, your drug of choices are accomplishment and accumulation. Number five, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel someone else's pain. Or you don't even have the capacity to feel your own pain. You can't identify it. You can't identify what you're feeling, what you're thinking. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just simply don't have time for it. Number six, out-of-order priorities. 
You feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. Number seven, a lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep at night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, minimal stimulants, margin. You gain weight, you get sick multiple times a year, you regularly wake up tired, you don't sleep well. You live off the four horsemen of industrialized food apocalypse, caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we turn to uh, our distraction of choice. Overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Number nine, spiritual disciplines are slipping. If you're anything like me, when you get overly busy, the things that truly are life-giving to your soul are the first to go. Such as quiet time in the morning, scripture reading, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sundays, a meal with your community, and so on. And then number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. On the rare times when you actually stop and pray, and by pray we don't mean just ask God for things, but just sit and listen and have a relationship, you're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy Jesus. How many heard something on that list where you're like, ooh, yeah, that stings. That's me. Y'all are hesitant, to be honest. I know nobody got through that list and was like, I'm good. Good. Nothing on that list. I'm all good. I walked through that list because I think these are symptoms and signals that something isn't right in our lives. That maybe we're following more of culture than Jesus. Maybe we're not taking seriously, or maybe we don't know how to take seriously the the command to really love God with everything we've got and love our neighbor as ourself. If you're like me, I can think of probably half the things on this list where I go, yeah, that could be something. And like the little lights that light up on the dashboard when something isn't going right in your car and you should pay attention to that every now and then, we should pay attention to these things. Because it's probably an opportunity where we need to take Selah in our life. A holy pause to take a step back and reflect and see God and gain perspective. To say, yeah, I'm afraid. Selah. I know who God is. He's my shield. 
He's got me. I don't have to let this fear drive my life. I can feel the fear, but I don't need to let it drive my life and my decisions. So a question. Where do you find Selah in your life? This holy pause. Maybe it's in the form of a Sabbath day. That's an extended Selah where you dedicate a day to where you stop striving and you realign yourself with Jesus. A day where you worship, a day where you celebrate, a day where you have community, a day where you simply enjoy what Jesus has given you. Or maybe you're not ready to take a full day for Sabbath. But maybe you're thinking, maybe I I might need to put a rhythm in my life. I I might need to be intentional about this because this list, this symptom list that Jamie just talked about, like I can check off nine things on that list and I don't want to live that way. And I don't think Jesus wants me to live that way. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind that he said, come, I'm going to set you free and I'm going to show you how to live. So maybe you're sitting here and you go, I need to make it an intentional part of my day where I take a selah, a holy pause to reflect. And maybe that might be in the morning where you intentionally wake up, stop your thoughts from invading your mind. Stop the day from rushing in on you, all the priorities, all the things you need to do. And you simply just push all of that back. And you go, I'm going to start my day focused in relationship, talking to my Father. And the world's going to come at me, and I'm going to stay focused and grounded in who Jesus is and who I am in Christ. So maybe that's just two minutes every morning that you start to become a rhythm in your life. Or maybe you read some scripture, maybe you pray, maybe you just lay in bed and just focus on Jesus before you get up and face the day. And invite Jesus, invite the Holy Spirit into your life, into your mind, into your heart. Or maybe it's a nighttime routine. Or at the end of the night, you just take a few minutes in your favorite chair, maybe with some scripture open, maybe reading, and you go through and you reflect on your day. Jesus, what happened today? Jesus, where did I see you? Jesus, where did I struggle? Jesus, where did I miss that you were maybe working or doing something in my life? Jesus, I had a really hard day. I just need to talk to you about it. I just need to get this out. Or Jesus, I'm content and I just want to listen. Or maybe it's being more intentional about catching the moments. I like that the selahs are usually in a song, either mid-song or at the end of the song, because it's capturing a moment. 
when you're scared, when you're defensive, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you desire something, when you want to react emotionally to a comment or something that's been said, and you stop, and you say, La. I'm afraid. Oh, God, I remember you're my shield. You're my resting place. When you're looking at the news and you're anxious and, and you feel that anxiety rising up inside of you or you're dealing with the situation, stop, Selah. God, you are my fortress. You are with me. I do not have to be afraid. I will be still and know you are God. So I want to invite you. Pick a time and start practicing to put this into your life and watch how it slowly transforms your life and your relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, I pray that in the midst of our lives, that we would take this seriously. Whether it be on a daily basis, whether it be in the morning or at night or a weekly basis where we take a Sabbath day. Or or Jesus, maybe it's moment by moment where we can catch that moment. I pray that for each one of us in this room, each one of us watching online, that you would guide and lead us to build these Selah moments into our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So this next song, uh, 